Hollywood actors were Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Yeah. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Better shake your booties for black girl nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this episode is hosted by Ryan. It's all about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We have got two incredible guests who have a little bit of some expertise in that area. And we have two guests on our show that's going to talk about the intersection of STEM and entertainment. Our first guest up is Dr. Tina Lasisi. She's a science communicator, content creator, and postdoctoral researcher at the University of Southern California. As a biological anthropologist, Dr. Lasisi explores hair shape and skin pigmentation, providing insights into the genetic architecture and evolutionary history of racialized human traits. Her unique research and nuanced perspective reach diverse audiences through her dynamic and witty TikToks and Instagram Reels. She brings enthusiasm, wit, and authenticity to PBS's digital studios as the host of Why Am I Like This, sparking curiosity and breaking down common misconceptions about how our bodies work. In our second segment, we welcome Dr. Kareem Edward, PhD. He's a creative producer and expert in understanding the intersectionality of race, culture, and STEM for students of color, as well as issues of culture and inclusion in children's media. Dr. Edward's expertise helped ensure that all aspects of the series, which will introduce computational thinking concepts to help viewers solve meaningful problems, learn flexible thinking, and effectively express themselves are looked at through the lens of culture and inclusion. In fact, cultural inclusion is the backbone of how the show's characters are designed. And his project is Work It Out Wombats, an exciting new animated series about a trio of marsupial siblings, Malik, Zadie, and Zeke, who live with their grandmother and their diverse and vibrant treeberhood which premiered on PBS Kids February 6th. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this two-part episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast, featuring Dr. Tina Lasisi and Dr. Kareem Edward, talking all things STEM and the intersection of entertainment. Welcome to the Black Girl Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And have you ever had one of those days where you're just like, why am I like this? You know, whether it's like you're trying to figure out an exercise, you know, trying to do a new sport maybe. Somebody comes up to you and they're like, oh, I like your, your hair color or your hair texture. And you're like, and they're like, oh, this is a 3C. And you're like, wait, what? What's a 3C? You know, that happens to me all the time. So, you know, it's just, you know, I'm having one of those days myself, but you know, we need to bring in an expert, right? And she makes it really cool to go to science class. That's all I'm going to say, like really cool. I'm talking about a biological anthropologist and science communicator, Dr. Tina Lasisi. How are you doing, Tina? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. I'm so excited to talk with you. By the way, you really do make science fun and I can't wait to kind of dive into uh, why am I like this? It's so cool. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it. 
Um, but I want to start with, okay, being a biological anthropologist, you got to break this down for us. Tell us how you even get into this field and what made you just so curious about genetics and hair and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest with you, it's not like I knew what an anthropologist was in high school. So really what <laughs> happened was I was looking through a brochure uh, for university. So I grew up in the Netherlands and I knew I wanted to go to school in England at the University of Cambridge. Now, did I know what exactly I wanted to study? No, but I knew that I want to have those Harry Potter vibes as a backdrop to my <laughs> academic career. So I was looking through, you know, what could I possibly study? And I knew I really liked culture. Um, and I came across this uh, major called archaeology and anthropology. And so that included learning about cultural anthropology, biological anthropology, and archaeology. Now, at the time, I was like, mm, the science thing isn't for me, but I really like culture. So, you know, one out of three ain't bad. I'm sure that it'll be okay taking these other classes. But it turned out that I really liked the biological anthropology classes that we had because I thought about humans a lot in terms of how we have different cultures, but I never really thought about the biological aspect. And so they really reeled me in with this lecture on uh, how human skin color evolved, like how we have all these different skin colors, what that has to do with vitamin D, with folate. And my mind was just blown and I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, I mean, you just, you're amazed at like where you just get on this path, like something just catch your attention and you're just gone. And you're like, it's no telling where you're going to go, how you even get on the train. But it's just like, okay, you got me hooked. I'm ready to go. Exactly. Now talk about, okay, let's get into the show here. Why am I like this? PBS, do digital series. Like you literally spend like, you probably spend maybe at the most 12 minutes looking at these videos, but they are so impactful. They get you, they get you the facts, you get in and out. So talk to about like, what, is this something you wanted to pitch? Is this something you always kind of wanted to do with your knowledge? Like, how did that come about? So um, I love talking about science. Uh, if you ask the people around me, they just say, I love to talk, period. So I knew <laughs> I wanted to do some kind of communication. Um, and I love bringing people with me on an adventure. And that's really what it is. Like learning new stuff is an adventure. You know, back when I was younger, it was just like, oh my God, I read this really cool article on Wikipedia. And, you know, once you go to undergrad, you upgrade and you're like, oh, all that tuition taught me how to find really cool articles on Google Scholar. And then you can even go one further and start learning about things that haven't even been written down or found out. And so kind of doing this show is this opportunity to take a bunch of information that exists out there in the world and bring it together to answer specific questions. Mm -hmm. So I was already doing my own little thing with science communication on the, you know, the TikTok, <laughs> on the Instagram, you know, cute little thing, did a little blogging back when I was in grad school. Yeah. Um, but then I had an amazing production team find me called STEM Media. Um, and I started working with these awesome people. Um, shout out to Stephanie, Justin, Nehemiah. Um, they were the ones to actually pitch the show. And then they found me uh, online doing my thing. Um, and they thought, hey, you know, this girl seems really excited about human biology. She could be a good host for the show. And that's how I got onboarded onto it like the positive side of social media i like that because it can get you know it can get on the negative tip so it's good that somebody like you're out there just doing your thing and they're like you know what about this you know this could work it, honestly it it kind of makes it worth it 
I mean, you know how yeah. it is. You, we, yeah, we're, right, right. we're on it for too long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into some of these topics just in case people are doubting how skilled you are. Because I was like, I, they don't know yet. Let's touch on some of this stuff because I was pleasantly surprised that I could get all these facts in seven minutes. Let's talk about just body types in general. And Mm -hmm. so look, I had to take notes, you guys. So check this out, right? So there's a fast twitch muscle and a slow twitch muscle. Break this Mm -hmm. down for us, Tina. Let us know. Okay, so there are different types of muscle fibers. Um, And within the class of muscle fibers that are called skeletal muscles, so the ones that you use to do, you know, all of your different movements, you have different subtypes as well. And there are slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. And so basically, if you look at the research out there, the it shows that fast twitch muscles are associated with explosive movements uh, versus slow twitch muscles are associated with endurance performance. And sometimes you'll hear people say things like, oh, like this person is predominantly like fast twitch. That's why they're a sprinter. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, they're good at, you know, doing strongman competitions or whatever. Um, but I, on the other hand, I, I'm mostly like slow twitch. That's why I can do, you know, long distance running and all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, we all have both muscle types. It's just what kind of proportion do we have the different muscle types in? Uh, there was this period of time when people um, started getting their 23andMe's done. And one <laughs> of the things that it would tell them is like, what would you like have predominantly based yeah. on what we know about your genes? And people would be like, oh, I, I didn't know that. So for me, it, it came up that I, I had whatever um, genetic variants were associated with having predominantly a fast switch. Now, if you... Do not ever make me sprint. Do not ever make me sprint. I was gonna like, say, if, let's go. You know, let's do a little sprint. Let's get ready. Nah, it, if the zombies are runners, I'm just taking the L. I'm lying <laughs> down, okay? Like, you know, if, if we're doing a little marathon, me versus the zombies, maybe. But so, you know, there's just like a lot of misunderstandings um, yeah. that stem from this idea of, okay, well, if people who are good at particular sports have mm-hmm. certain like, you know, mostly representation of a particular predominance of a certain kind of muscle type, does it mean that because I also have that muscle type, I'm going to be an athlete? And the answer is absolutely not. You <laughs> you may still be like, you know, your sport may be TV marathons. Okay. Like that, that might be what it is for you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the human body is complex like that. And so I love, you know, explaining to people what's going on there. Yeah, you like that because you know sometimes people are like, "Oh, you have that. You should. You got to be able to win, right?" Like I'm, I'm looking at you right now. You got to be able to do the sprint, right? You got to be able to take on the sport. But you know, people, you have to put in the work. You know, it depends on your mentality. Like so many things go into you know just being physically fit that people don't account for. Absolutely, and you know, in terms of that, there's also a lot of um, racial stereotypes about sports, and that's one of the things mm-hmm. we kind of wanted to talk about in this episode. And I'll never forget. I, I remember. Some at some point in PE, like one of my teachers was like, well, you're Nigerian, like you should be good at sprinting. And I'm like, sir, you oh, have geez. literally seen me struggle to do like, what is it? <laughs> the, <laughs> that little pacing test, like, you know, I can't sprint, but people have these ideas of like, oh, well, there's different types of people and they should be able to do different yeah. types of things. But humans are just a lot more complicated than that. And yeah, like basically the biggest factor is going to be training in something like athletes are not just people who have quote unquote raw talent. They're people who day in, day out, wake Uh, up and grind. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you got us ready for gym class because you know it was always that that one gym teacher where you were like, now you just saw what I did over there. Now you get ready to try to make me run like the suicides or like run it, try to put me on this team that you know I'm not gonna. Why would you I, you know I'm gonna do like two days and be done. Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> All right, listen, Black History Month, right? Let's just get down to like one of the things that comes up, right? Like one of the things in the in the you know people of color, Black community. Let's talk about hair texture. I love mm -hmm. this episode, the way you did this, coming into the salon, absolutely 100%. I feel like everybody, all of my all of my girlfriends, just in general, women have went through this experience. You're trying to go to the salon and somebody thinks they can figure out how to do your hair. You know, they think they got to offer you, oh, and then they go going for the dreaded touch and you're like, do not do that. So tell us, take us through like, and I, you know, I heard some cool things about having curly hair because me and you, they can't see us right now, but me and you are both rocking the curly hair. Mm -hmm. So break it down for us. Tell us about the hair texture. Well, uh, do not get me started because I literally did my entire PhD on this. So <laughs> let's see if I can condense seven years into like three minutes. Well, basically, like, let's talk about like the two sides to it. Well, when it comes okay. to like, you know, the cultural and the social, mm -hmm. I, I grew up um, mostly in the Netherlands where people um, mostly have like very straight kind of like, you know, hair right. different from yeah. mine. So like, you know, walking into those salons and having people just be afraid, but also intrigued, big experience. Now, mm -hmm. when I went to college, I started asking, you know, after learning about skin color, what about hair? Like, why do we have curly hair? Why does that exist? And I started doing a bunch of research on it, trying to understand how we can best measure it. So like, you know, we talk about you know, 3C, 4A, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's actually ways of measuring curls so that you're not trying to categorize it. And then even more interesting to me as an evolutionary biologist is, well, why did it evolve? And if you think right. of mammals, most mammals have straight hair. There are no mammals with tightly coiled hair like ours. They don't exist. Oh. And I keep telling people, I'm like, if you know one, point it out to me. People will be like, oh, what about sheep? Well, sheep have crimped hair. So that's kind of like this, you know, this wave. Yeah. And that means that that hair can like stack up. But if you look at our hair, what's like really incredible about it is how much volume it takes up, right? Like if you take some of our hair, it doesn't like neatly lie stacked. Yep. It's kind of this chaotic coil that maximizes the amount of space between the top of your scalp and the top of your hair. And so long story short, what I did for my PhD is a bunch of experiments that showed that this kind of texture is incredible in areas that have a lot of solar radiation because it minimizes how much of that heat from the solar radiation reaches your scalp. And guess wow. when that's really useful? Yeah. When you're a hominin evolving in, you know, the East African savanna around yep. 2 million to 1.5 million years ago, that was, that was the hairstyle, optimal hairstyle for evolution. And look at us. We didn't yep. even know about that because people haven't, really put the time and effort into looking at our hair in that light of like how could this have been this evolutionary innovation yeah so you know we're not just like cool period we're actually like our physically we're cooler <laughs> literally exactly <laughs> literally i'm cool right now i'm just telling you guys right now like literally you see me walking down the street i'm cool i'm just saying that's all i'm saying facts <laughs> All right, the last thing I want to kind of touch on here, you know, we got to talk about the melanin in our skin, right? I, I, I love these topics that you're covering, right? Because like I'm saying, you're looking at this for like seven minutes. Um, I see you going like insane right now because you're so excited breaking these topics down. And for us, you could be like, 
well, I mean, well, she's using this term and then I don't know how this connects. But the mm-hmm. way you wrote down like the melanin in our skin, I thought it was so dope. Give us like, look, we're trying to condense all of this in 30 minutes, but give us like your top, your top, like, I guess, facts that you found out about melanin and how it's produced and all that kind of stuff that you can kind of lay for the listeners, lay out for the listeners. Okay, excellent. So I guess the first place that I will start out is the chemical structure of melanin is still somewhat of a mystery. Like we do mm-hmm. not know it's final chemical structure because there's actually multiple kinds of melanins and the two broad types of melanins that exist are eumelanin which is this brown black pigment and then pheomelanin which is this reddish orange yellow pigment but even among those two classes like there's so many different ways that that polymer can be structured that chemists don't really know what its form is so that i think is a pretty cool fact and then another cool fact about melanin is that it's really, it's really easy to mess with its production. And so you see that a lot in the way that there are a lot of people who have albinism, even in populations that have uh, dark skin in general. So you'll have various African populations Uh where most people have pretty dark brown skin. And then, you know, it just takes a cup, one genetic switch, if you have two copies of it to entirely turn it off and so the fact that it's so easy to mess with this pathway that melanin is produced in means that there can be a lot of variation and so that's like one of the cool things about the genetics of melanin you can have a lot of variation and a lot of variation that you don't see on the surface so that's why we did this episode basically being like how can two dark-skinned people make a rice baby well this is how this is how there's like all kinds of ways that your genes can combine and you can't tell from looking at someone what all of their pigmentation genes are and there are hundreds of genes that are involved in your pigmentation and so when you combine that into a new being you don't really necessarily always know what you're gonna get and it can be a little bit of a surprise so I think those are probably like my my top two fun facts I'm trying to think what else Hmm. is there anything that popped out from that episode no, I, you know what? And I'm I'm just curious too, just kind of hear you talk about, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever stunned somebody with how you broke it down scientifically? Because sometimes people don't like to hear the science of it because, they, you know, they want to kind of, you know, maybe they want to kind of pick a little bit. They think they kind of understand something. So sometimes they don't like that science knowledge just dropped on them. And I'm just kind of mm-hmm. thinking about that, hearing you kind of explain this, you know, when you think about racism, when you think about, because, you know, this is the type of month when it's really highlighted, right? Like we're really mm-hmm. bringing out some of our history, some of our background, Putting science, putting the science lens on it, I think is remarkable because it breaks mm-hmm. it, it takes it out of a whole other context of like, you know, just being able to base it, you know, specifically off of a certain culture or how you think somebody's going to look, how you think somebody's going to turn out. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you break it exactly. down to the science. Yeah. I mean, you never know what you're going to get. Um, and I think that sometimes we don't understand how intimately science is linked with identity because Mm -hmm. science is done by scientists and even if we want to claim that the scientific method is objective there are moments in the scientific method especially that first step of observation that are incredibly biased because they're based on how you see the world and so I always give well actually a really fun melanin example that I have is um, people take for granted that we have known always that melanin is protective against the sun like there are these articles in the 50s from these scientists who aren't even trolling like they're not even extreme but they Mm -hmm. genuinely claimed that 
there is no benefit to having dark skin in sunny places. Just dead ass. Mm. They they said that. They they're yeah, like, yeah, there yeah. is no benefit because we know that dark objects heat up in the sun. Therefore, it's obviously bad to have dark skin in a place that has a lot of solar radiation. And that already tells me that those scientists probably didn't have a lot of black friends because I know if somebody who was um melanogenically challenged was yeah. next to somebody who was very melanated in a hot, sunny place, and they were turning into a lobster because of the sun they probably wouldn't continue thinking that dark skin is probably a bad thing to have in a sunny place. But that just goes to show like you can have this biased view of the world because you don't really see the totality of the facts. Mm. And that's what's nice about being able to bring people in and doing this science communication. That's why we did this show because we wanted to show that there's a, a lot of ways to do science. And actually, you know, we're all scientists in a way, like, you know, trying to understand the world in this systematic, rigorous way is something that everyone can do. And so our show is really there to show that it can be this fun, curious thing that all of us can be involved in. Yeah. And you know what? Not only are you dropping knowledge right when you watch these, let's talk about this entertainment value that I think is so cool. The um the episode you had, um, I think it was part of the um, yeah, it was part of the Melanie episode. You opened up and you were kind of this detective. That's right. Opening up there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like standing by the window, it's in, <laughs> it's in black and white. And people, I'm pretty sure people can read through the classics of, of starting it out like that and starting in that color. But it's so like, so it's like if science doesn't work out, girl, acting maybe. Because I just love the way these <laughs> these these episodes opened up. Um, kind of talk about that and also you have like the bloopers at the end of every episode which are hilarious as well to show that you guys are literally it's literally science and fun which makes it so fun for us to kind of watch it and you know and you know really pay attention to those facts because you guys make it so entertaining I mean look that episode was like my favorite do not let me dress up like uh, a noir detective again because I was I had a whole attitude I was like you yep, know yep. Uh, chewing on my little what is it chewing gum cigarettes uh-huh. but really who I, who needs to be thanked for that is you know who is doing all the filming framing all the shots came up with all of that brilliance as Taylor Adams Are you I've worked with so many incredible people who had the ability to bring their creativity to science right and so I never would have thought of doing a a sketch show with science but you know that's kind of what uh they come up with in the pitch like um in this pitch they had this idea for for what would it be like to have like a sketch comedy show be integrated with science and i think it's something that didn't exist out there and so you know bringing that together was really really exciting um i i had never acted before so i'm glad you thought it was good uh (laughs) there you go yeah yeah hey sometimes you just gotta try stuff and see what happens process yep yep so yeah but it was actually it's like you guys have to check this out i'm gonna stop here because i guys i want you guys to physically like i could literally sit here and talk to tina about every single one of these topics because there were so many terms i didn't think of so many things that i didn't know was bothering me that came out in these episodes because you always wanted to answer but you kind of just gave it up like nobody knows the reason for this nobody knows why this happens so go check mm-hmm. it out on um, pbs youtube page they have this whole digital studio where they're creating this these real this really cool content um, where you get to see wonderful people like Tina. Um, Tina also like, cause I'm doing the bare minimum of it, plug it up where they can find you if they have questions for you and everything. 
Well, if you want to find me personally, I am um, at Tina Lasisi on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, uh, and you can find our show on the PBS Terra channel on YouTube, which is where PBS Digital Studios does all of their science stuff. So that's where I'm at. And let me talk to you about this. Are you, I read something about you're doing, um, an, you're assistant professor um, anthropology at the University of Michigan. Is that something you're getting into or are you already doing it right now? <laughs> So I'm starting uh, this August as, uh, yeah, assistant professor of anthropology at the University of Michigan. So I'm going to have my own lab. I already have students. Don't ask me how I already have students and I haven't started work yet, hey. but you know how it is. <laughs> I, I know why you already got students. I'm not even going to ask that. I know why you already got students. And congratulations. That's going to be so cool. Thank you. I'm very excited. So what, as we kind of, as we kind of wrap here, what were some of your favorite moments you're taking away from doing this, this season? And do you have, do you know if there's another season coming up? If not, I'm just going to put it in the universe. Um, okay. Right. Um, so my favorite, I mean, my favorite episode was the, the melanin episode. Was, I had yeah. so much fun shooting that. Um, I had so much fun dressing up as a detective mm -hmm. putting on that weird little accent. That was so <laughs> much fun. Um, but also, you know, the the last uh, episode that we did, we had some fun bloopers there, especially one where um, one one of my uh, colleagues too um, eagerly threw a ball at my face. <laughs> so that's one of our fun bloopers. Thanks, Justin. Um, yeah, no, I just had so much fun working with people and like learning um, about, you know, what it's like to make a show like this. As somebody who used to watch a lot of science shows, uh, you watch these, you sit down and you're like, oh, that was a fun 10 minutes. It took us days, I okay, bet. days, weeks to make some of these yeah. things. It really makes you think like, you know, how much work goes into that, but knowing how much fun it was, like, I, I would love to keep doing this. You know what? We, we bring it to the future. I'm going to, it's like a, it's like the 2023 Bill Nye Science Guy, you know, up, oh my God, up, that'd be fun. update it, you know, crank it, you know, put it on Instagram, put it on the TikTok, you know, upgrade it a little bit. <laughs> Remixed version 2.0. Yeah, you know, right? When you get all the little tidbits real quick and you just glued in like, oh, what are they going to do next? So you guys check mm -hmm. it out. Why am I like this? The perfect question. Get some answers. Tina, it was so much fun talking to you. We got to do it again. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Black Gunners Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And have you ever heard that saying, you know, that racism is taught? You know, I'm going to add in sexism as well. You know, just, just critical thinking and all that happens when we're young, right? When we're kids, because we're like sponges, right? We're just picking up information everywhere. So all of that kind of stuff is just ingrained in us when we get little. So what is the, the appropriate way as a parent? Or, you know, even if you just want to look out for your little cousins, your nephew, what is the appropriate way to approach some of these topics where kids can understand it and it's still fun? So I have an expert with me today where we can kind of dive into this, talk about it a little bit. I'm talking about Dr. Kareem Edward. He is an expert in understanding the intersectionality of race, culture, and STEM for students of color. And he also has the time to be a creative producer on a new fun PBS kids show called Working It Out Wombats. Kareem, how you doing? Ace, how are you? I'm doing good. And yourself? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to talk to you. Working out Wombats is so fun. And so I think the characters are so cute where the kids can get into it. But before we really kind of dive into the show, I kind of want to talk to you about your interests and, and, you know, why choose the topic of and why was it so important for you to kind of focus on the issues um, as far as culture and inclusion when it comes to children media? And was there like a show for you as a kid that kind of stood out? 
Yes. So that first of all, it's a direct and great question. So here's what I'm gonna do. Okay. When I was a kid, we had Static Shock. We had Sea <laughs> Bear and Jamal. See, yep. I'm a young, I'm a young old head. So I remember <laughs> watching um, cartoons as a kid, and the animals, the Disney afternoon stuff, had one piece of energy. But then seeing my black skin, uh, being a black male, black boy. Um, that was super important to me. So as I started to kind of progress through the media hustle, I said that when I got the opportunity, um, I wanted to be a voice and I'm going to be a part of a voice. And being a producer on this show particularly um, allows me to stretch my legs and really kind of channel young Kareem, um, who was thinking about wanting to see himself on screen. So particularly for this show, my research um, as an academic, is directly connected to race, identity, um, when it comes particularly for Black children in STEM spaces. And I said to myself, if I ever was given an opportunity to work on a project where we can have our voices, young people's voices, um, be a part of a big conversation, this would be something I want to jump onto. And this is why I'm here. And this is some of the work that I do currently. Yeah, and you know, it's so, and it's such an interesting point because I know growing up, I was very visual. So you know, any little images kids pick up when they're when they're younger just stays with them, and you can't explain why. It's just something that you just see that, like you said, the static shock of it all, like stuff like that, just hits you because it's a represent representation of what you look like, you know, of your culture, something you can relate to. So I kind of want to ask you, how do you probably? Because I know you're also um, assistant professor right now um, at uh, Drexel University. How do you kind of parlay that into being a creative producer? Like, how did all that come together? Yes. So I run a lab in the School of Education at Drexel called the ILLIST. And it mm -hmm. stands for Informal Learning, Linking Engineering, Science, and Technology. And as I always say, it's my way of getting people to say ill in the most formal meetings <laughs> as possible. <laughs> right? That's probably yeah. the blackest thing that you could do, right? Is just yep, to use... Yep, yep, yep. Um, a way to express who you are culturally um, in a space. So all my work at Drexel is focused on getting as many Black children, particularly in the West Philadelphia community, um, to matriculate into STEM spaces, STEM internships, STEM careers, and how that kind of frames in the lab. When you go into the lab, there's about 600 sneakers, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why we got sneakers in there because we speak into the culture. So we study material science, um, and mechanical engineer through sneakers, right? And Nike spends billions of dollars on R&D research. And I figured if you're going to have us sell it, right? You're going to have us hope in it, then right. we need to be at the table when it comes to the design and construction. Now, why that links to the work I'm doing at Wombats is that in the lab at the Illis, we look at STEM learning, as an opportunity to share lived experiences and your culture um, in a STEM space. So outside of having the sneakers in the spot, we have an animation lab. So we just opened up a small animation lab. And why that's important is because we need as many black and brown voices in these spaces. So work it out Wombats, uh, myself and my wife, Dr. Darlene Edward, um, we really stepped to the, the the much needed discussion of having folks of color be at the table when it comes to creating and designing um, characters and telling stories. So I'll, I'll put you in on game right quick. 
-hmm. one of our main characters named Malik. Now, if Malik ain't the strongest name that you can think of. And let's go back, right, to when I was a kid in the 90s. Malik Yoba, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And all these other Maliks. But little Kareem would have loved seeing characters named and using language and expressions that were really lived in cultural experiences. So I wrap that up by saying that at the Illis Lab and the work and the research that I do, we try to shape and develop and have conversations about identity. And particularly on this show, that was a head forward discussion. How do you engage STEM competencies? And then how do you make sure there are really cultural related identities that are present on the show? Yeah, and I just kind of want to zero in on the fact of those those labs you talked about, you know, just so interesting of getting the kids, you know, they're not, they wouldn't be out in the streets, you know, out hanging out with the wrong crowd, because they have something that's so stimulating. Um, I'm, I would sign up for a live right now if you're going to let me say illness. So I will be ready right now. So, you know, just something to keep their minds stimulated. We're so exciting and so intense because I was not expecting you to go there. And I'm just thinking as a young person, just having something like that, that'll pull me in where I'm not, you know, getting into the wrong stuff, trying to find other ways to keep my mind, you know, busy is such a cool, a cool way to, uh, you know, for them to spend their time and and cool skills that they're going to need in the future. Now, another thing to think about. So we um, used to have a professor in our lab, Dr. Rashida Likely. Um, and she used to run a natural hair care lab inside of the Illis. And part of the work that she did with Dr. Christopher Wright was really thinking about how Black women, Black girls who um, um, have this conversation around identity of their own bodies and their hair and how that connects to STEM and STEM engagement. So in the lab, what she was doing was teaching chemistry and biology through natural hair care product. And that's just some of the work that we do in the lab. We really try to engage as many, as much of the STEM framing and career pathways in our lab, but more importantly, try to make a cultural connection. So the last thing is that we have a making space. We got 3D printers, CNC machines, um, um, as much access to technology that we can give our black and brown students access to. But here's the most important thing, is the cultural production that they do with it. So when the little young homies and the sisters come into the lab, the first thing I ask them is what would you like to do? So I'm always listening and asking questions is because the lab is designed for them for have not only agency, but for them, as you said, and I'll use it very clearly, stimulate their minds and to give them the highest form of engagement possible. Right. And you know what? Speaking to of engagement, right? And just stimulating your mind, trying to pull you out of your comfort zone. And also you got to listen to this, right? Like this is going to grab people's attention. It's going to have them talking to their kids. If we dive back in here to working it out wombats, PBS kids, you guys need to check it out. As of this recording, it has not came out yet, but it's debut is February 6th. So get ready to watch it. You know, bring your little niece and nephew, your your baby cousins, (laughs) if you're not parents yet to come and check it out. But here's the thing, right? Okay. So Kareem, let's go back here because you mentioned a little bit about the names. So we got Malik, we got Zadie, we got Zeke. So it's important to mention these names. Tell me why it was important to pick these character names because I got a pretty good idea. Talking about the culture, I got a pretty good idea of why you wanted such interesting, strong, unique names. So to be very transparent, um, these names not only mean something to me, but it also means something to the entire creative team because the call really was to step out of the normative, not only way that we name characters, 
but the way we think about culture, particularly in the animal world. And I want to say something to be straight up and flat out with folks when they hear my voice. Mm -hmm. Animals are not a proxy for race and ethnicity and culture. So I'll say it again. So we all on the same page. Animals are not a proxy for race, culture, and ethnicity. And I was very adamant. My partner and I um, were very adamant because um, it can sometimes be the easy way out to just make a show about animals. So for us, we made the we took the charge of thinking about not only the origins of these animals, but really thinking about diversity, right, from an animal mm -hmm. perspective, right, the ecology of animals. So the first thing that we said to ourselves is like, okay, um, when it comes to just diverse representation, lived experience of young people that are watching, why don't we start using and engaging in names that step outside of what was traditionally found across children's media? And for me, I went straight for Gusto, Malik. And <laughs> as even me saying it, I'm smiling. And there's a lot of stuff I've done on this show. But having a character named Malik for me, I know black people for sure named Malik, and I know brown people named Malik, right? And yeah. hearing a strong name um, that has a lot of um, cultural framing to it and being a lead character, Zadie as well, um, we felt that it was important to really ground that you're walking into something that has nuance. Another thing that, just to be very clear, even um, the design of Ellie. So Ellie is a moose, but Ellie is also Jamaican. And there are no moose, from what I understand, in on, on the Jamaican island, right? But right. what we were thinking about was that it's not only about where these animals are originally from, from their, you know, um, scientific framing, but it's also there's a cultural map that comes from it. So my parents are from Haiti. I'm Haitian. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was born and raised in Miami-Dade County. And those lived experiences of cultural exchanges I felt would be super important. My partner felt would be super important on this show. So Ellie is a Jamaican moose. Now, what even helps it and adds more value and nuance to it is that the voice actress is a Black woman who's also Jamaican, right? Our, nice, our yeah. other lead characters are Black people. Super is a Black woman who frames the wombats. Um, she is the matriarch of the show and frames their STEM engagement. So we really had serious discussions and not only the naming of these characters, the voice actors, um, and all of those things add to the nuance that give complexity to the show. Yeah, and you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit already, but I was going to talk about a little bit, even the family structure, I thought was so unique. You talked about Super. You know, these these wombats are raised by the grandmother. You know, the matriarch of the family, you know, changing up the way we think about family structure if you're not aware of that dynamic you know that happens sometime and also too uh you know these kids that sometimes going out these little these young wombats going out right and they're solving you know life problems and you know super is like well go ahead and solve it and then you come back to me you know she kind of <laughs> she kind of rounds it up at the end but you know they have these experiences that you need you know when you're young you know in a safe way and healthy way but that you need to kind of get out on your own and figure out like problem solve on your own then you come back to your parents you know for your solutions or you come back to your grandparents where they can kind of break it down for you so i was very close and some of the writings um with um the writers on the show of saying mm -hmm. that y'all gotta make sure that the wombats come back 
before the 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 street lights turn on. So there was <laughs> yep. like, there was there was this joke because um grandma super um uh, she's omnipresent. She everywhere doing something mm-hmm. and but she still is um kind of representing this energy um where she wants to trust the wombats, right? So a part of the fabric of the show is not only just creativity, but it's this idea that these new skills that these wombats are acquiring, right? These computational skills, they're being creative, but they're also helpers, right? They're mm-hmm. figuring out how to support and ingrain, um, support the folks that are ingrained in the community. Now, how I'll fold it with, fi- with family structure, this to me is a call that my partner, um, on the show, my wife, Dr. Darlene Edward, what she wanted to talk about was the shared lived experiences, right? So it doesn't matter if you're black or brown, there are folks who are raised by grandmama and them, right? And Mm -hmm. these diverse family structures are very timely and necessary to be seen on screen. Because if we're asking for diverse representation, that comes with everything. That comes with how not only the characters are represented, but even how their families are represented and the structure of their families. We have characters that have two moms on the show. And that is very important in the way that we represent and present family structures to young people. The other thing that we're very proud of is that we think about um, the families that need support as far as like, um, being physically able, right, to engage in certain spaces and then the supports that they get, right? So Sammy yeah. the snake, right? Sammy doesn't have any arms, but Sammy engages, it still engages in the world and the way the treeberhood is designed and then even for us as creators, we make sure to take that into consideration. So there are ramps that are available for not only Sammy, but also the crab family, right? So we think about not only just the family structure, but we also think about the holistic representation of the animals and then also how they engage in the treeberhood as a whole. And you know, it is I, I love the fact that you bring in the treeberhood. I love that, you know, the idea of that, you know, a village raising, you know, these wombats or all the kids. You know, it takes a village, it takes everybody working together in the community. And, you know, just to, to kind of put this up, cut a, a tight bow on this, because, you know, I don't want to take them too far in the treeberhood because I want them to take the kids and check it out and, and yes. you know, see what kind of lessons they're going to unfold. But, you know, this idea of community, why was that so important to really, you know, emphasize the treeberhood and, and emphasize, you know, how all the wombats and, you know, the crab family, like all these different families kind of intertwine and, and rely on each other for support? So if I'm going to be very um, direct, Mm-hmm. We need some of that today in our society. We need this discussion, a greater discussion of how we all work in a system, right? So even if you look at it from a computational lens, it's a system. But if you want to think about it from a family lens, um, we are all important. I think about the movie um, Soul Food and what Grandma said. You make a, we are all fingers that close together to make a fist, right? And <laughs> yep. that's part of what the treeberhood is. It's this discussion that every member of the treeberhood is not only important, but every member of the treeberhood actually keeps the treeberhood going, right? And that really is what happens when in any ecosystem, for that matter, is that. Everyone provides something and supports. Now, the key for young people watching this, all young people who hear this, and even their parents who are listening to this too, is that young people need 
to feel that they're a part of this, right? So our uh, primary characters, they never get into trouble for trouble's sake, right? There aren't any hijinks that are presented on this show. We've evolved past that. What we look at is the skills that they've acquired or they're acquiring throughout each episode is how to support the Treeberhood, right? Now, there's still young, the young Wombats that are having fun and really energetic, but there's a way to really present this discussion and being in an degenerative way. And that's where we think the Treeberhood really stands out um, amongst other shows in the similar kind of framework is that they all kind of engage and build together in this one space. And that to me is where the value of the Treeberhood comes in. And I got to mention one more thing about the show that my favorite line is, um, as I as I tradition into nerdum with you here, one of my favorite lines was Malik said to his little brother that they're going to sit down and watch and listen to, or I'm sorry, read the Koala Khan comic books. And I thought yeah. that was so hilarious. <laughs> and I figured out, you know, before we started this, me and you figured out we have a we have a um an even interest or equal interest in X Men. So I kind of want to ask you, like, what you what what is your what do you like about X Men and, and what you read in these days? Because you put me on so something you, that I hadn't checked out yet. So you know what? It's X Men. But first of all, Bishop is my guy in the okay. X Men, right? So yeah. that that already let's just start off really strong. So we got Bishop and we got Storm. But I was telling a little bit about Krakoa and how I've been thumbing through uh, some of the new the new line X-Men. And I was thinking about how Storm out here in these Mars streets just running <laughs> shot on everybody. So I'm a really big fan of Storm um, and Bishop when it comes to the X-Men. But where my heart is is Black Panther. Um, and oh, what did you think about Wakanda like, Forever? You got to give us your review now. So <laughs> I, I keep it. I'm going to keep it a buck. I was out here crying when I saw the mural. So I mm -hmm. got, they caught me on, yeah. on, on jump looking at the mural. Cause it's funny cause I'm sitting here. I got a couple of um, X-Men comics in front of me. I have the entire um, omnibus of um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' run. And then mm -hmm. I'm sitting here looking yeah. at John Ridley's run, but the movie, cause I'm gonna answer the question. I got to focus. The movie for <laughs> me, the movie for me was important. Yes. Because not only are we, did we get to show the transition and the way that ancestors did this transition, so the celebration. So remember, again, I'm I'm Haitian. So for me, this this the celebration, the wearing of white, um, and being celebratory of the transition was important. But here's the thing that connects to my work and why Black Panther is super important to me, is that when we see Riri, and when we see Suri, what we're sharing with the world is that not only is it important to continue to pass your tradition down, right? But mm -hmm. STEM engagement, STEM knowledge, STEM learning is a very communal thing. So we go from the death of T'Challa to the rise of Suri, and then now the also rise of Riri, right? And right. for me, Black girls, Black women in STEM, that's the heart of my work. I have a five-year-old. Um, she looked at me and she put on her panther mask and she said, I'm Shuri and you're T'Challa. And she said Wakanda forever. And it was all based on watching that film. So my my daughter, a young black um, um, panther, as she calls herself, <laughs> really sees herself represented on screen. Now, this is going to be amplified if I'm out here geeking, is that she is absolutely ready for Moon Girl and oh, Devil Dinosaur. Yeah. When I, oh, yeah. So I, I'm going to leave you right there on that one, and you go ahead and pick it up. 
Yeah, you know what? Yeah, we're we're all ready for Moon Girl, and I'm so glad she is ready to protect us because we need all the little fears. Black Panthers out there ready to go. I'm I'm glad she was inspired by. It. But yeah, Moon Girl is so cute, and that's just a cute. That's such a cute reference to see how you know something like Black Panther sticks in your mind, right? To have those positive images, Riri, Shuri, you know, all those prominent images for our community. It's just so exciting to see, and you can't wait to see like what the younger, your little four year old, all the other little girls are gonna do with that knowledge that they have now going into the future. That this is something that's not far fetched for them to believe and dream in. So can that's I say, can I say this, so cute. Can I, yeah, go ahead. Can I say go this ahead. one thing, and I want folks to 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 take it and it on of its face value. So for me, I, I walk in the tradition of Afro Afrofuturism, right? Mm -hmm. And part of that framework now in the work I do, particularly with Black children, is that they are STEM. When you think about STEM and STEM problem solving, really, it's about solving um problems that help build communities for black folk we've been living under scarcity and you ain't never seen a better stem scientist engineer than folks that are living under scarcity they're able to make their communities thrive they're able to build the language they're shaping identity everybody got a grandma everybody got an uncle on them somebody in their family that can make something out of less so i want folks who hear my voice and to hear the references, whether it's X-Men, whether it's Black Panther, whether it's the Illis, and even the show when watching Wombats is to understand that a lot of our culture and who we are, we can be part and we are part of STEM frameworks. It's just, we need to see more representation. So I am championing that we have more folks like you, we have more folks like myself, continue to go out and be part of the community and particularly engage with young folks because that's the call to action. It's one thing for us to prop ourselves up in whatever platforms and whatever work that we're doing, but it's another thing to make sure to find some young people and bring them into the work and the projects that we're doing. And that's the reason why I'm super proud to be part of the Wombats. There we go. Well said, you got Dr. Kareem Edward. It's been a pleasure. I couldn't say it any better myself. That's how we wrap right there. But I do want to give you a chance you know, if they want to find out about the ill lab, because, you know, I think it's got to be the illest, right? It's got to be illest in the school yes. system. I, this is what it sounded like to me. So, you know, like plug yes. it up, let us know where they can find you, where they can reach you, you know, if they have any questions, anything like that. And you guys, PBS kids, look out for worker, wor uh, working out wombats. Go ahead, Kareem. I'll let you take away. Yeah. So first and foremost, man, get us at working out wombats. It'll air um, coming up on a PBS network around the country. Um, we're super excited about that. Come see us, come hang out with Malik Zaidi. Um, and yo, we're here. Second, if you want to come through and check the illest lab out, we're in Philadelphia at Drexel University, representing West Philly. Um, you can jump on anywhere that you got the interwebs, type in the illest lab at Drexel and come see the work that we do, the sneaker lab, um, everything. Um, the energy is there, and more importantly, we're here to support as many young Black children as possible so we can get them to replicate and process through STEM spaces just like us. Peace. Thanks, Kareem. I appreciate it. All right. You have a good one. You too. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, 
Audio Boom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.